Our text today, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Many have already said, as you looked at the bulletin ahead of time or whatever and realized what we're studying, say, oh, that's some of my favorite verses. Many of you know my favorite verses are a little later in the chapter, chapter 4, verses 9 and 13. I'm not going to go that far today, but we're going to look at those first nine verses of Philippians chapter 4. You're familiar with it. You love it. You memorize it. You quote it. You hear it often preached. You've taught it or you hear others teach it. It's just a familiar passage of Scripture. But quite often we break it down and we quote the passage that says, think on these things, that just that one verse, or the peace of God, that verse, or the God of peace, that verse, or stand fast in the Lord. Uh, again, by itself, we don't see them in context. So I want you to look at them with me today uh, as a whole and some of the unique things about this passage that you may have forgotten or may not, uh, uh, have re- or may not remember. I want you to notice, first of all, chapter 4, verse 1 begins with a therefore. And I think that's the cue to all of us. When it's therefore, you've got to go back and see what's it there for? What's in the past? What did Paul say earlier? Well, I just remind you of two or three. In uh, chapter 1, the apostle Paul said, there's a God in heaven who has begun a good work in you and he will complete it all the way till the day of the return of Jesus Christ. That's Philippians 1, 6. Philippians 2, we hear quoted so often and we're so familiar with, but it's the foundation and the background for what we see here. It's, it's part of the therefore that Paul gives us. God hath highly exalted Jesus and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, because that's true, this is what I want to instruct you. This is what I want to tell you. And then in my new Spurgeon study Bible that I'm right now reading without my, uh, my uh, readers, my fine print glasses, I think I can read it. Just across from chapter four uh, in my Bible, it says, again, this is part of the therefore, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's own testimony and Paul's own commitment. All of that leading up to where we are today. When he says all of that, then he says, therefore, and he gives us some instructions. So we're going to look at those today. I want to encourage you, if you really want to understand this passage of scripture, I've just given you three of the key nuggets from chapters one, two, and three. But you could go back and dig out many more. Perhaps you already remember or have memorized many more of those uh, and look at those for yourself. But that'll help you appreciate when he comes here in chapter four, verse one, and says, therefore, and then he's going to give us a series of commands, not just suggestions, not just uh, uh, positive thoughts, but commandments. Paul takes his cue from the Roman military. Most likely when he wrote this letter, dictated this letter, he was chained to a Roman soldier and uh, saw the activity of the Roman soldiers uh, taking care of him, but also there in Rome where he was in prison. And so with uh, the language and the understanding of the military of Rome and how they conducted themselves. He takes many military uh, terms and uses it here, starting with the one in verse one, but there's some others as well, and we'll look at those. But it's almost as if Paul is a, a drill sergeant or a staff sergeant, and he's barking orders to the Philippian Christians. 
And those become orders to us here today as well. This wasn't just for the Philippians in the first century, but the Holy Spirit preserved it and has continued it and brought it to our attention here today. So I want you to see it and hear it today. Uh, the therefore, the basis of chapters one, two, and three, and then all that Paul has to say uh, in these verses we're going to look at today, chapter four, verses one through nine. This is my new study Bible. I've already marked it up a little bit because I had to preach from it. So I put some, not only some notes over here on one page, but I wrote in the passage there. That's, that's just the way I study my Bible. But I asked them when they gave me this study Bible Friday night, I, I already thought I need to preach from that Sunday since I'm going to get to preach. But I had to ask, is it King James? And they said, we wouldn't think of giving you anything but a King James. So <laughs> it's the King James Version. We're going to read these verses. You'll read from your own version, maybe the Pew Bible or maybe your own. So it'll be a little different. But I just grew up on the King James. That's what I go back to. I don't think it's the only way, but it's my way. Okay? So I ask you to indulge me in that today. But stand with me as we read nine verses of uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. It's going to be on the screen for us as well. Therefore, remember the preceding leads up to this. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, long for my joy and my crown. The title of today's message is Stand Fast in the Lord till Jesus comes. Stand fast till Jesus comes again. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. These next two verses seem like they don't belong. And all of this high and elevated and uh, theological and spiritual words that Paul is giving, all of a sudden he calls out, excuse me ladies, he calls out two ladies in the church at Philippi, okay? I, I'm just the messenger, okay? Don't hold it against me. But here's what he says to those two ladies. I beseech thee, you odious, and beseech thee, Syntyche. We don't have any ladies in our church by those names, I don't think. But anyway, okay. Uh, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Something's going on between these two, two ladies. And I entreat thee also, that would be the leader of the church. The pastor probably is not present with them, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, but somebody's leading the church right now. So he says, I entreat thee, true yoke fellow, help these women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now he starts with more commands. The first command was the first verse. Stand fast till Jesus comes. Stand fast in the Lord. And he's going to continue. More commands. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is coming again. That's probably what your translation says here. The Lord is at hand. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Then he starts more instructions. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, it's a long sentence here, but it's another command. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think. Next command, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, and here's just a two-word command, but do put it into practice, obey. 
And not only will the peace of God guard your hearts and mind, but the God of peace shall be with you. Thank you and be seated. First of all, notice several, I'll call them superlatives here or, or broad sweeping terms that Paul uses. He says, first of all, in that uh, uh, fourth verse, rejoice in the Lord always. That's pretty inclusive, isn't it? That's pretty extensive in its uh, coverage. Rejoice in the Lord always. In verse uh, uh, five, let your moderation be known unto all men. Another superlative, another extensive, comprehensive uh, uh, charge that he gives. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Then verse six, be careful for nothing. And that's King James, your Bible probably says, don't be anxious or don't worry about anything. So another superlative there. Then in everything, and he names three kinds of prayer, so I think it's not only everything, but in all kinds of prayer, prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Superlatives are here. Commands are here, and you need to notice those, pay attention to those, and realize what God's Word is saying to you today. I would remind us again, Paul wrote these to first century Christians. He's in a Roman prison environment. These Philippians are hundreds of miles away in a territory called Macedonia, but they're undergoing persecution from the Roman society that they're subject to and the Roman government that suppressed them and continues to suppress them. They've also got trouble in the church. And I better not say too much or I'll get in trouble, but when two women in the church get cross with each other, it can affect a lot of people and a lot of things. Right, Brother Phil? <laughs> so they've got trouble in the church. And it's public trouble because he's already called out these women by name. Aren't you glad we don't do that too much around here? But called out these two women by name and... Uh, the word has gotten to Paul hundreds of miles away about this problem. So now he's writing a letter back to the Philippians and in his letter he puts their name in there and calls them out. Now what their difference was, what their problem was, we don't know. But evidently, verse one says, stand fast in the Lord. Evidently, verses two and three, their problem was hindering their ability to stand fast in the Lord. And it was also most likely hindering the uh, rest of the congregation from standing fast in the Lord and hindering that aspect. And then he also says, let your moderation, King James word, we'll talk about it more in a minute, but be known to all people. So he's not just concerned about the two women and their problem. He's not just concerned about the congregation. He's concerned about the world around them that is learning, that is observing, that is being affected by what's going on. So in the midst of that, Paul, who himself is under persecution in Roman imprisonment, whose church that he helped to found and spent a good deal of time there, he's very familiar with them, uh, has strife and tension within the church that he has to address and call out. And then the general environment of persecution going on. In the midst of all of that, Paul says, be strong. And I say, be strong, stand fast till the Lord comes back. That's the way I've interpreted it because when he says, let your... Uh, moderation be known to all men there in verse uh, 4. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand is a reference 
in, in at least one meaning, one understanding, to Jesus coming again. The return of Jesus is near. You don't want to be found not standing fast. You don't want to be found in this conflict. You don't want to be found uh, giving in to this persecution or to the worry, the anxiety that may be coming your way. You don't want to be found doing that because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near and his return is near and you don't want to be found in that uh, situation or circumstance. Well, let's just look again at all these verses. Let me just point out some other things to you as well. Uh, in verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. He says it twice. Most of you who studied Philippians know the book of Philippians has up to 20 references and uses of the word joy, rejoicing, joying, uh, some form of the word joy throughout the book of Philippians. This from a Roman prisoner to a persecuted church with trouble in the church. He says you still can rejoice in the Lord. And he says I'm not going to just say it once. I'm telling you more than once. You can rejoice in the Lord. This is command. This is imperative mood. And so he's saying it's possible to rejoice in spite of the situation and the circumstances. Then in verse 5 when he says let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. I think that certainly is a reference to the fact that Jesus could come at any moment. Paul believed that. He lived that way. He died and it didn't happen, but he's taught us that we ought to live our lives in spite of the fact that millenniums have passed since then. We still need to recognize there's one more major act on the part of God uh, in his overall plan for the human race and for the world, and that is to say, son, go get my children. Leave the right hand of the Father where you're interceding now and go back and begin that process of bringing the world to its end, to bring judgment upon the world and rapturing and redeeming my people out of this world. So that's certainly one of the meanings that Paul had in mind. He lived with that mindset. You and I need to live with that mindset as well. Our worldview, our daily life, our behavior should be influenced by the fact that Jesus could come at any moment. Now, I know it's hard for us to grasp that when it's been a couple of thousand plus years. And I know it sounds like we're just trying to motivate people by some kind of a, an emotional tactic. But I can't help but tell you it's there in the Bible. And Paul said it plainly. The Lord is at hand. And he had that in mind. Again, back in that first chapter, verse 6, God has begun something in you. He's going to continue it. He's going to complete it until Jesus comes back. There it is again. It's in Paul's mind. It's in his view. Everything is shaped by the coming again of the return of Jesus Christ. And that ought to influence and affect us today as well. But there are a couple of other meanings. Commentators, when you read through what does it mean the Lord is at hand, will give you about three different meanings. And most of them will pick one. I'm a good uh, compromiser, I guess, negotiator. I'm going to pick all three. I'm going to say all three are true, okay? The Lord is at hand. He's near to you and what you're going through and what you're doing. And God, uh, Jesus, the Lord who is at hand, is a judge. Uh, he warns us throughout the New Testament of chastisement that could be available uh, and brought upon us if we're not conducting ourselves properly as children in the family of God. And so when he says the Lord is at hand, you better watch out. The Lord may uh, intervene in your life and in your situation to bring you back to where you need to be. And you say, well, where do you get that? Well, I get it from the whole Bible, the whole New Testament, but in particular, he just mentioned two women who were stirring up trouble in the church uh, and uh, the difficulty the church was going to have because of that. And so he's reminding them, Jesus may come at any moment and he may come at any moment personally to you in chastisement or judgment. So keep that in mind. The third meaning of that phrase, the Lord is at hand, is uh, 
The Lord is always near, always present and available and personal. And that's going to continue, that theme is going to continue here in this passage as we look at it today. And uh, I'll point that out to you as we come along. But that's so important to know. Uh, we've all heard so many times and been reminded even recently, every religion in the world will acknowledge there's a God, but he's way off out there. You can't see him. You can't hear him. You can't know him. Uh, he's uh, totally out of touch with us. And your only hope is if you can somehow make your way to him. And then Paul comes along and says, that's not my God. And First Baptist Pelham, that's not our God either. Our God's not off at yonder somewhere, doing something else, concerned about other things. The Lord is at hand. That's what this verse says. And we'll see other references to that right here in this passage of scripture. Our God is personal. Our God is available. Our God is ready uh, and is capable of working in our lives, no matter what the situation. So I think he's saying that to these two women. He's there to help you so that you can move from this position of conflict and, and uh, stress for yourselves and within the church. You can move to standing fast, standing firm, standing confident in the Lord. You can move because the Lord is at hand to help you. And that's a reminder to us today as well, as well. No matter what you're going through, whether it's conflict or whether it's persecution or whether it's a, a personal struggle, the pastor of the church in Philippi was named Epaphroditus. He had come to visit Paul. He had brought Paul an offering from the church at Philippi. Again, you can find all that as you read earlier in the book. But while he got to Rome and was there with Paul, he became deathly ill. It looked like he was going to die. And so part of the letter here, Paul addresses the people and says, the Lord's healed him. The Lord's helped him recover and I'm sending him back to you very soon. Most likely he was the one who would go back and carry this letter back to the uh, people of Philippi. But he was their pastor. He was a beloved person and uh, they were having to deal with the knowledge that uh, one of their uh, beloved leaders was almost at the point of death. And so once again, he's, he reminds them in this letter, the Lord is at hand. The Lord was at hand for Epaphroditus, to heal him, to restore him, to return him to his place of service. And you can apply that in your life. And then also the Philippians were going through that constant threat and experience of persecution. But Paul's word is the Lord's at hand. He'll be there with you. You'll never go through that pain, that suffering, that heartache, that burden alone. The Lord is at hand. So Paul has great words to say to the church at Philippi, but also to us today as well. Then he comes to those precious verses uh, in verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Many of you are too young to remember. I'm not. I do remember it. And I remember then I thought it was foolish and silly. And I still do today. That little ditty that came out maybe in the 80s. I'm not sure. But it said, don't worry. Be happy. And it kept on repeating that little phrase. That little phrase over and over. No, no more instructions. No more help. No more assistance. Just don't worry. Be happy. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, don't worry, be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything and replace your worry with confidence in God. Get on your knees and pray and ask God to help you and take you through whatever it is you're going through. And so that's what he says here in verse six, be careful or don't worry, be anxious for nothing. Uh, but in everything through prayer, that's a general term for praying, supplication, that takes it down to a more specific and definite and personal level of prayer. And then after you've finished 
submitting your requests to God in heaven that include thanksgiving, either for the prayers he's already answered or with your faith that he's going to answer this prayer. And by faith, you're praying in advance. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. A cure for worry, a cure for conflict, a cure for stress in life and anxiety in life. Don't worry about anything. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And don't just pray haphazardly or generally, but pray. Move deeper into prayer to supplication and don't forget to include that confidence in God that he has and he will answer that prayer. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. And again, that's a, a command statement on the apostle, a part of the Apostle Paul. He not only says, uh, stand fast, that's a Roman uh, military command, but he's also here when he says, be careful for nothing or don't worry about anything. That's a command. So we can uh, face worry and face anxiety and face stress and be victorious over it because not only did Paul tell us we don't have to do it, he also told us how to overcome it through our prayer life. I want to skip over verse 7 just for a moment. I'll come back to that. Look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, and by the way, you notice there's a bunch more verses here in this chapter 4. He's a good, Paul's a good Baptist preacher. He says finally, and then he just keeps on preaching. So uh, I'm not going to do that to you today, but uh, we're not through yet anyway. But finally, brethren, and then he talks about the mind. And if you think about it, Paul's already mentioned the mind once in this passage. He's going to mention it uh, uh, other places in Philippians, other places throughout his, uh, his writing. The mind is such an important battleground for us. And it's a place where we can resist and overcome the onslaught of our enemy in the matter of the mind and the matter of the thought life. And so here he gives instructions again, uh, a command. He lists the things that should be in our mind, whatsoever things are honest, just, and I won't go ahead and read all those verses. Uh, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think, that's a command form, that's an imperative. Think on these things. Choose by the power of God to fill your mind with this kind of thought and not the kind of thoughts that the enemy bombards you with or that the world presents you with. Think on these kind of things. Then in verse 9, one other imperative or one other command. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. One little command. Do it. Obey. Put it into practice. Now, Paul had been with those Philippians when he first met them and they established the church. He'd been with those Philippians on other journeys. He'd been in contact with them through various uh, writings of his that had circulated around. Of course, this is one of those letters, but it would circulate around among the churches. So he knew them and they knew him, so he didn't hesitate to say, uh, to say you've seen me, you've observed me, you've heard me, You've been ministered to by me, what you've seen in me, then put it into practice in your life. Obey, do, a final command. All of this under the umbrella, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast till Jesus comes again. All of these are our imperatives. All of these are our commands from scripture into our life today as well, just as much as the apostle Paul uh, gave it to them there in the first century. Then there are a couple of promises here, and I'll take the last couple of moments to remind you of those. We skipped over verse 7. And the peace of God. Try to comprehend that. I'm not even going to try to define the word peace, but it's the peace that comes from God. It's more than that. 
It's the peace that God himself experiences. And if there was ever perfect peace, complete peace, eternal peace, it would be in the presence of God. God is the author and the founder and the giver of peace. The peace of God. That peace will be with you when you obey these commands. When you stand. When you remember Jesus is coming again and the Lord is at hand. When you rejoice. When you refuse to worry and you choose to pray. When you do these things, the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. He's just going to talk about the mind again in a moment, but there it is. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. That's a promise that we have as we face the challenge to stand and as we seek to obey these commands that Paul said are possible and necessary for every one of us. But then it's not only the peace of God there in verse 7, but the end of verse 9. When we obey, when we do, he says, not just the peace of God. Do you see that? The God of peace. The very God himself will accompany you, will make his presence known to you, um, uh, enable you to experience his presence in your life and in your situation and your circumstances. He'll not only send peace from heaven, he'll come from heaven to be in you and to be with you as the God of peace. Now, we won't spend the time to debate that or discuss that today. Uh, you can interpret that if you want to. Well, that's when he sends the Holy Spirit. Well, that's good. That's not a, a, a separate person. That is God. He is the God of peace, the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit back in John chapter 14, he looked at his disciples and said, peace be unto you. Not as the world gives unto you, do I give unto you this kind of peace. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And he was talking about the Holy Spirit in the context of that promise of peace. So I think surely the God of peace is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And do you remember? The Holy Spirit came into your life when you got saved. He has never left and never will leave. He's waiting, he's available for you to allow him to do any and everything he wants to do and that he can do in your life when you allow him to do so. And when you do, the God of peace is with you. Paul's in uh, chains by a Roman soldier. The church is all uh, uh, divided and frustrated with the conflict that's going on within the church. The whole world is under the domination of Rome and Christianity is under the persecution of Rome. Paul says, but the God of peace is with you and will be with you. And you can claim that and experience that as you face whatever you face in life. And take that from the first century to the 21st century, whatever you're going through today, the God of peace. He's not unconcerned. He's not unavailable. He will be with you, no matter who you are, no matter what you're going through. And I'll close today with that word with. If you're a child of God, this promise is yours. He's with you and available to you. Some of us forget that, though. Some of us allow things in our life to get us disturbed and distracted and we don't claim that promise for ourselves. And so some of us today, this is a reminder to you. If you're a child of God, the very God of peace is there to help you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in bondage. You don't have to live in conflict. You don't have to live in any of these negative aspects of life because you have the God of peace present with you and in you every day, all the time, in any situation. 
If you're not experiencing that today, you can. And you need to be. It's available to you because you're a child of God. But then as I speak today, I'm also speaking to those. The promise is the God of peace will be with you. But he only is with you when you come to him in faith through Jesus Christ. When the barrier of sin and your guilt uh, and your lostness is removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then when you're saved, when you're born again, the Holy Spirit, the God of peace comes to be with you and to be in you. I'm speaking to some folks today here in this room, but also uh, by means of live stream, speaking to you today, and you know the God of peace is not with you because there's something that stands between you and him. And that which stands between you and him can be removed only by God's son, Jesus Christ, and by what he did for every one of us on Calvary's cross. And God guaranteed that what he did on the cross was complete and perfect and sufficient because three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. A witness to you today, he's your only hope. He's your answer. He's your way. The God of peace will come into your life and be available for you as he is for all believers, but only when you first come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never done that, we invite you, encourage you to do that today. If we can help you with that, we want to do that. We're going to have some moments of music in just a moment after I pray, and I'm going to stand here at the front, and we're going to give you the opportunity if you need to come to this altar and pray to do so, or if you need to come forward today and saying, I believe in the God of peace, and I need the peace of God, but I know it is not mine, it can't be mine until I settle this issue concerning Jesus Christ, and I want to settle it today. There may be some here today, both in person or by live stream, who are hearing God's voice call you and invite you, and you're ready today to say, I want a relationship with the God of peace through Jesus Christ to help me face whatever I'm facing in life. So we invite you to make that decision today as well. Let's bow together in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you again for your word, for its everyday message, its practical message to help us deal with situations in life, no matter what they are. We thank you for your word that is alive and active at work today to bring us to where we need to be personally and spiritually. I pray, Father, for those who need to respond today in this church family, those who are believers, who need to enjoy the peace of God and the God of peace in their life and the ability to stand and to stand fast. I pray that they'll make decision, response they need to make today, commit their lives back to you. Then, Father, for those who are not believers, I pray that they'll make that decision, that commitment here in this service today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.